I'm going to um, talk to you tonight about something that I've been thinking about for quite a while. Um, and I've been thinking about it, it's been on my heart and in my mind, before I knew that I was going to speak this evening. But the more I thought about it, the more relevant I felt that it was for this evening. And I've called it saying goodbye. Um, it's been on my mind a lot for various personal reasons, but also because we knew that Mark was going to leave. And as we know, Mark, our pastor, left last Sunday. And although it was a lovely occasion saying goodbye to him, it was also very sad as well. And we know that he's only going to Wales, um, but it does seem a long way away. And even if he comes back to us, our relationship with him will be different um, and so it did feel like quite a big goodbye. Um, also, it um, sort of coincides as well with the fact that whether we, whatever we think of it, we've now said goodbye to the EU um, and, uh, you know, don't want to go into the politics of it. But again, that did seem quite a momentous time as well. Um, and also, um, I expect in your own lives as well, you've had goodbyes. Now, some goodbyes are good goodbyes and some are bad goodbyes. And I've known both of those in my own life and I'm sure you have as well. And what I want to do tonight is just look at a few goodbyes in the Bible. The Bible is actually full of goodbyes, so I've just picked out a few that seem quite um, interesting and relevant and how we can apply them to our own lives as well. So the first goodbye I want to look at is Isaac and Rebecca. Um, just to set the scene, Abraham's son Isaac had grown up and Abraham felt he really needed a wife now. Um, and before the days of internet dating, he had to sort of do something differently, didn't he? And in um, Genesis chapter 24, we read... Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, amongst whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And then in verse 10, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. Um, and then we go on to read about Rebekah coming to the well. The servant prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Um, 
I mean, it was interesting. He prayed that prayer. And if you read the story, you will see that Rebecca did indeed come to the well even before he'd finished praying. And she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. So very much a family member. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. And then she gave the water to the servant and she also offered to draw water for the camels as well. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Now, after all this took place, she then went back and um, told her brother and her family that this man had come along with the camels. And they, in those days, were very hospitable and said, well, where is he? Bring him back and uh, he can come and stay with us. And uh, when he came, he told his story. So we take up the story again in verse 47. Um, The servant said, I asked Rebecca, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. And then I put a ring on her nose and bracelets on her arms. And I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. And Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. I thought it was rather interesting. The day started in a very ordinary way. Rebecca went to the well, which she was obviously accustomed to doing, um, and the family had no idea the events that were going to unfold during that day. And yet the day finished very differently, didn't it? In a way, you can sort of almost imagine the shock of the family, this strange man coming along, this um, servant of Abraham, But they recognised that God was in that situation. And then we take up the verse in verse um, 54. Um, The servant and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us ten days or so and then you may go. But the servant said to them, Do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. And they called Rebekah and said, Are you willing to go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. And again, this was quite a sudden goodbye, wasn't it? One day, Rebekah was just living a very ordinary life. The next day, she was off to be married. Um, The mother and the brother and the family obviously wanted time to get used to the idea and they wanted time really to pack up properly and say goodbye to her and yet circumstances were such 
that the servant said, no, I want to go straight away. And they were willing to let her go. And she was willing to go with them. But it was a very sudden ending for them all, really, wasn't it? Um, and then I want to just look at Joseph in the same way. Again, um, Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, as we know, wasn't very popular with his brothers because he was a bit of a boaster and he had dreams, etc. Um, and again, this is just an ordinary day. In Genesis 37, we read in verse 12, Now Joseph's brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Jacob said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. So he sent Joseph off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they, and where, where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard him, them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Now here we have, so far so good. Joseph had been sent off to find these sheep and his brothers and he found them. But then suddenly, life took a very different turn for him, didn't it? Again, he started off with an ordinary day, doing ordinary things. And as we know, the brothers were very jealous of Joseph, and they were really fed up with him. So, in verse 19, we, we see, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this system here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Because Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the system was empty, there was no water in it. And as the brothers sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. The camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, this is quite a well-known story. We read this story, but imagine all the emotion and the shock behind it all. Can you imagine the shock for Joseph being set upon by his own brothers I mean, he was tossed into the system. Now, you can't imagine he sat in the system and thinking, oh, this is not bad, there's no water in it or whatever. I'm sure he was shouting all the time. You know, he wouldn't have gone peacefully at all. And then when the brothers dragged him out and sold him off, you can imagine him pleading with his brothers, shouting, 
crying. This was not a good goodbye, was it? It was a very bad goodbye. And as we know, when he got to Egypt, he was then sold to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. And um, he was doing quite well there and uh, making a bit of a go of it. But as we know, Potiphar's wife was a bit of a piece of work, really. Um, and she had the hots for Joseph, really. And then if we read in Genesis 39, verse 17, um, she obviously um, tried to entice him. When he had, um, And she um, tried to entice him, but as we know, Joseph ran away. He wanted nothing to do with it at all. But this piece of work kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. I mean, imagine that yet again. It's almost like a repeat of before. Joseph was innocent with his brothers, although he was a bit of a loudmouth, a bit of a boaster, and yet his brothers treated him very shabbily and sold him to Egypt. And now again, he's been falsely accused of something that he hadn't done. And he was thrown into prison. And you wonder, did it all bring it all back to him? Was there a real sense of deja vu? Why is life treating me like this? I don't deserve it. And this again was another bad goodbye. But as we know, as his life went on, um, things took a turn for the better and through um, various circumstances he became very important in Egypt. And then when there was a famine, um, his brothers came to Egypt um, because they needed to um, get food and Joseph saw his brothers and was reconciled to them in a way. And in Genesis 45 we read, he says to his brothers, come close to me. And when they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. And this is many years later but Joseph had to work through the whole process of grief, anger, um, you wonder, when he said goodbye to his father initially, when his father said to him, go and find the sheep and your brothers, I sort of imagine that he just said a pretty well a cursory goodbye to his father because he expected to see him again in a few days' time. And of course in those days there was no photograph that he would have been able to have and you wonder whether he thought, I wish I'd said a proper goodbye to my dad, I wish I'd had the... Um, the sort of sense to say perhaps a proper goodbye to him. He had no, um, no way of remembering almost 
probably what he looked like even. Um, and yet he was able down through the years to realise that although the circumstances of his life weren't good, yet God was in them. And although he'd had some really awful goodbyes, nevertheless, God was with him and God turned it for good. And I was thinking about these two stories with Rebecca and with Joseph and neither of them ever went back to the land of their birth. So they, they went from their homeland, Rebecca to get married and Joseph because he was carted off to Egypt. And I was thinking sometimes traumatic events happen in our lives, don't they, as well? And that we have to say goodbye to all that we once knew and that there is no going back. And it may be only much later on we can see that God was in it, that God used those circumstances, even though they might, you know, they were awful and they shouldn't have happened. You know, his brothers shouldn't have been such numpties and, and being so jealous of him. But nevertheless, God overruled and God used it and turned it for good. And it just made me wonder, have you longed to go back to something? Or have you longed to have the opportunity to say goodbye properly, but it's never going to happen? And then I want to just turn um, to look at the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth, um, Naomi um, married and she had two sons and she left Israel um, and she went um, to Moab and lived there. Now, her husband and the two sons died and she decided she was going to go back to um, Israel and her two daughter-in-laws, um, Orpah and Ruth, went with her. So we take up the story in Ruth chapter 1 and in verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi pleaded with them to go back. She felt that was the better thing for them to do. And then verse 14 says, At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, and we know these are quite well-known verses here. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Ruth um, was determined to go with her mother-in-law. It was very interesting because this goodbye for Naomi in a way was a good goodbye. She was saying goodbye to her past, 
She was saying goodbye to the sadness of her past, that her husband and two sons had died, and she was going on to a new future. And although in a way that was good for her, it did affect those around her. And it meant that both Orpah and Ruth had to make a decision, what do they do now? Um, and in the little reading that I've done, although Naomi was glad to say goodbye to her past, to her past, Ruth refused to say goodbye. It would have been much easier in a way if she'd gone back to Moab with Orpah. And it just made me think, is this you? Do you want to say goodbye to someone or to some circumstances, but that you feel that God is wanting you to stay? Sometimes it's right to say goodbye to something or to someone, but at other times it may be a struggle to actually stay in the circumstances or to stay with the person, but you feel that God is wanting you to stay. And then I just want to take a little story in the book of Kings. This is the calling of Elisha. Now Elijah was a, a very famous prophet, um, but he needed an assistant and he called Elisha. So in 1 Kings chapter 19 we read, Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and rang after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. And I think this is a really interesting story because not only did he go back and say goodbye to his parents, but he made sure that he couldn't go back to his previous life because he burnt the equipment by which he earned a living, i.e. his ploughing equipment. And sometimes I think when God calls us forward, we have to take some action ourselves to show that we're leaving our previous life behind. And I wanted to compare it to a little story um, in Luke chapter 9. When Jesus was calling people to follow him, people gave lots of excuses, didn't they? In Luke chapter 9, verse 59, we read, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And here we are. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And I thought it was really interesting that Elisha was able to go and say goodbye to his parents because there was something in his heart that knew God was calling him away from the ploughing, away from his current situation to follow and to work with Elijah. But here you sense that this man's heart wasn't fully given over to Jesus. 
and you, you sort of sense that Jesus recognised that there was a prevarication here, that saying goodbye to his parents meant that he would never really let go of them and he wouldn't wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And I just made me wonder, has God sometimes wanted you to say goodbye, but you've prevaricated, and actually your heart hasn't been in it, but you have a sense that God is saying something to you? And then finally, um, we come to the reading that Paul read for me um, just a bit earlier on, when Paul was travelling around. Now, Paul was in Ephesus, and Paul had upset the idol makers there. Um, they had their goddess, Artemis, and um, Paul said to them that man-made gods are no gods at all, which really got up their nose because they were making money out of producing idols. And it had caused a riot in the city. Now, the city got very stroppy about this, and the city clerk had to bring order into the situation. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, we read, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and, after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. And then he went on to <coughs> Greece and lots of other places. Now here, this is like a very ordinary goodbye, really. Paul was just saying a goodbye, goodbye for now, I'll come back and see you again. And you sense that that was you know, quite a, an okay thing, really. But with the reading that um, Paul read earlier on, um, we read that he called the elders um, back again to say goodbye to them properly. Um, and he explained that he'd um, spoken to them, he'd taught them, um, they saw how he lived. And they knew that he was saying goodbye for a final time because he was going on to Jerusalem, as he said, um, in verse 22, as we read. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. And then in verse 36, we read, When he had said all of this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. And this verse, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Kos. And you can just read the emotion in that, can't you? That they just knew they were never going to see this man again. And it broke their hearts, really. And it was hard to tear themselves away. And sometimes in life we experience that, don't we? There's some goodbyes that we know are just very traumatic and uh, they are final. And when I was preparing this, I was thinking about um, eight years ago, um, my oldest sister lived in Australia and uh, I've hardly seen her very much really through my life because she's been in Australia for many, many years now. But she came over... Um, and it was the year before my mum died and we had a lovely time together and she was able to spend time with mum but the day came when we had to say goodbye and my sister Tiki and I both knew she would never see mum again and I can still remember the awfulness of saying goodbye to her 
and it was just awful really and so when I read these verses I thought yes I can feel that for myself I know what it was like and uh, I say mum died the following year and so Tiki never did see her again and I'm sure in your own lives you've had goodbyes like that as well terribly terribly painful really so these are just a few examples of goodbyes in the Bible I mean there are many more but I thought these are sort of um, interesting and relevant ones as well but what I want to do now is just have a just a few moments for you just to reflect on goodbyes in your own life there might be some unfinished goodbyes that you need to deal with or some goodbyes that are never going to be um, rectified perhaps they were really bad goodbyes perhaps even goodbyes that you're quite ashamed of when you think about now and all you can do is give them to God. And there are some goodbyes that weren't your choice. Somebody make, made a decision in your life which meant that your whole life changed and you had no say in the matter. Or it may be that God is saying to you tonight, I want you to say goodbye to a situation or relationship that is not good for you and you're prevaricating about it. So there's lots of goodbyes, lots of scenarios, but I, I would just like us to have a few moments just to bring to God what he might be saying to you about any goodbyes in your life. 